Welcome to Fits and Starts Season 3. We're back, Daniel. Hey. We're back. You feeling good? Uh, feeling good, feeling great, feeling great. How are you? Oh, feeling good, feeling great. A little big boy reference. I love it. So we, uh, we're we back to Season 3. This is the first episode of uh, Season 3. We're doing these little 10-episode sprints. It might be helpful to do a little uh, reminder kind of where, where we're coming from and where we're going. Uh, so we, uh, every 10 episodes, decide to do a little like, hey, you know, how are things going? Check in. And, uh, we and just a break. Did that, and then a break. So we did that because we get 20, tired. And we were feeling a little bit burned out. So we took a little break. The little break turned into a kind of a two month break. That's okay. <laughs> that's not hey, the man. world. People take longer. Self care. It's health. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and so we are just coming back from one of those. And we have an awesome guest that we're super excited about. And it, his name is Mike Rugnetta. If you don't know Mike's work, Mike has been. He's a performance artist. You'll hear a little bit about his background here. Uh, but he's a performance artist who got uh, approached by PBS to make a special web series for them called the Ideas Channel. And I have been a massive fan of this YouTube series for the last five years, I think. So I've been watching him for a while now. And we just reached out to him and said, this guy feels like kind of a perfect fit for the kind of stuff we talk about here. And he was very gracious and very nice. And we had an awesome conversation with him. Uh, so you can uh, find those Idea Channel videos in a playlist. I put together a little playlist of my top 10 favorites uh, that are right there in the show notes. Um, it is actually just finished up. Uh, they're no longer making new videos as of last month. So you can also find him uh, on his podcast, Reasonably Sound, which is very good. Uh, you can also find him in the Crash Course series. He's doing a series on uh, mythology right now, which is super good. Yep. Um, I really enjoy his sensibility and his desire to uh, mix kind of cool philosophical concepts. Um, I was a philosophy major, and so I'm a big nerd about those things. Mixing uh, sort of philosophy, academic philosophy, in with, uh, you know, like the, you know, lighthearted discussion of pop culture and other random goings on. So I dig it a lot. And uh, he was super gracious, super nice, and uh, very smart and was down to run with our wild tangents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the only other thing that I want to talk about before we jump straight in the episode is a little bit of housekeeping. We talked on our last episode about whether we want to do um, ads or Patreon, and we had you guys fill out a survey. And a lot of people responded on the survey. Super helpful. Very uh, grateful for your participation there. I think it was because we told them that we thought they wouldn't fill out the survey. Yeah, I think a lot of people well took to that challenges. as an ego challenge. Yeah, yeah. So what we learned from that which was more valuable than anything we learned from the survey, don't believe in the listeners. Yeah. Or if you do, don't let them know that you do. Yeah. We basically, uh, based on uh, some of the feedback we got there, conversations we've had with some other people, and then conversations we had between ourselves, we kind of decided we just don't really want to go down the road of dealing with advertisers. Uh, The market for ads is getting kind of weirder and weirder. It's also kind of weird because like Daniel does client work and I'm working in private equity and that's kind of like a weird conflict of interest thing. And there's it's just there's a lot of reasons not to do that. And so we got persuaded to go down the Patreon route. And by we got persuaded, I mean this was Daniel's idea all along. And I became persuaded over the last two months that it's a very good idea. So if you're not familiar with Patreon, it is uh, basically a, a platform that's put together so that people who create content on the internet can get direct support from their listeners. And that's what we want to do there. Uh, we've been using it to support uh, other creators that we like, people who make stuff on YouTube, 
podcasts, different stuff like that. And so uh, we wanted to open up different types of rewards for listeners who give at different levels. And so uh, there's a you can kind of navigate around in there a little bit and look for yourself. But uh, some of the things that some of the rewards that you can kind of see on there are we have a, a form on there for voting on new guests, new topics, things like that. We are taking a lot of uh, suggestions from you know supporters who want to get involved with the show and kind of where the show is going. Uh, we're going to have written posts on there. Each episode is going to have a bonus topic, so something uh, fun that didn't make it into the show. Uh, we're going to have kind of an extra topic on there that is going to go just to supporters. There's going to be occasional uh, video content. Uh, you're going to get a shout-out on the show. There's some other stuff that we've talked about, but we kind of want to see how things go first. Uh, so keep an eye out for uh, other, other rewards that are going to come up. And, of course stickers because stickers are important stickers uh so early access to stuff uh bonus content stickers uh voting on the show etc 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 suggesting guests there's a lot of interesting stuff on there so a link to the patreon will be right at the top of the show notes uh please kick through uh you know get on there take a look around if you are broke right now you don't have any money we don't want your money if if you don't like the show we don't want your money but uh nothing would hurt me more than to take a man's last dollar that's right that's right but if you got like a couple bucks sitting around you enjoy the show you appreciate what we're doing you appreciate that there are no ads on here uh you know consider it nothing would make me happier than to take your second to last dollar (laughs) that's right so one more thing i wanted to start doing uh in the intro is shouting out a project by a friend of ours um this episode, I just wanted to shout out your brother-in-law and both of our friends from college, Michael Johnson, is doing an awesome vlog, and you should go check it out. It's MMM Michael Johnson on YouTube, and it's great. He's, he's like Michael incredibly Johnson. talented and good at this. I will definitely throw that in the uh, show notes. Michael is an eccentric, funny guy who uh, runs around Manhattan. Uh, he is also married to my sister, and they uh, she is a, a, a frequent guest on the, on the vlog. But it is super funny, super entertaining, and he's just kind of in the early stages of figuring out how to do that. So uh, go check it out. point seventy hours into Persona Five, which is a PlayStation PlayStation oh, game. Man. I um, you know Idea Channel ended. I decided to take a couple weeks off, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I gotta I gotta get the hustle going. I gotta you know get some work uh, lined up. I gotta start some projects, but I'm also gonna take a little break. Um, what should I do in my break? Oh, well, I know what I'll do. I'll play the game that I had no time to play when it came out at the beginning of this year. And then I just spent basically a month yeah. straight playing Persona 5. Uh, it's great. It's, it's, uh, it's super fun. It's big in a way that um, I, it's a, normally with big games, I get frustrated very quickly and I get bored. And this, it just, it, for whatever reason, it, it keeps me engaged. Uh, there's so much to do. And the characters are really interesting. The story uh, develops in a really great way. Um, and I feel like I'm probably selling this to people who are who are going to be like, yeah, that's the that's what those games are. Yeah. Uh, but this is the first Persona game that I played, so <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, John and I have both been playing Destiny, and uh, it's big and it's good, and there's so much so much to do. I think John, you took like your first couple days of Destiny, basically just like exploring one big open world. 
when the rest of us were like grinding through the story and trying to get ready yeah. for you know the raid and all of this john's like i'm gonna find every crate on earth yeah it's the the issue right now i'm really glad for big games because there's it's just so great to like spend 60 dollars on something that will give you know that could potentially give you hundreds of hours of content but it also means that like holding down a full-time job and doing the podcast like i basically am at a point now where i buy like two games a year maybe and it's just they're, they're just so big now there's just so much to do and once you get really locked into a certain ecosystem you just you want to stay there kind of like i don't want to go buy another new one i kind of want to finish exploring the first one that i have and it's 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 been crazy because my my the number of games that i play has really plummeted in the last few years because of that yeah i think i'm i am at this point mostly intolerant of huge games and i think the, the, the that started for me with witcher 3 like i, I bought witcher 3 i played maybe oh, ten, yeah. 10 hours of it and then i had flashbacks to um red dead redemption um which i very affectionately <laughs> yeah. refer to as red dead errands <laughs> <laughs> and i just and i th- and like i was like you know what i'm not gonna do this to myself again i'm just i'm i'm done with open world i'm done with 100 hours i want to play the longest game I want to play is like a 30 hour game. Uh, and so, you know, when the big, when big games have been coming out the last couple of years, I've just been like, you know, I just, I'll like watch a playthrough or something. I'll watch people play it, but spend most of my days in, you know, I think, uh, before persona five, I played, um, the Wolfenstein from, was it 2014? Oh, yeah. The, like the original Wolfenstein reboot and doom 2016, and, you know, good. other, other games, you know, yeah, I mean, both of which were, were rad and were were great, you know, like 20 to 30 hour games. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised at how, how both how big Persona 5 is and how it, it, it didn't lose me immediately. Which is funny because you, it, you know, I joke about, about Red Dead Redemption and The Witcher being games where you're essentially like dropping off laundry for other people. In Persona Five, you literally do you do laundry. <laughs> part of the game is that you have you like can get a part time job and you occasionally have to do laundry. But for whatever reason, I'm here for it. <laughs> they really owned it. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It's really, it is bizarre. I mean, the example of laundry is 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 uh, pretty on the nose for what I was about to say. But the just the extent to which these games can start to feel like jobs is very bizarre to me uh, because I find myself just eating it up. That a way that I relax after work is to go, you know, log in and do basically busy work inside of a game that's generally <laughs> work that I've already done for like a very meager reward. Uh, it's it's odd to me that that really does kind of scratch an itch in my psyche and apparently, you know, millions of other gamers. Psyche. And it's funny when it, when it like uh, resembles, the question is always whether or not it resembles or doesn't resemble or, or complements the work that you do during the day. Because I, um, you know, like I, like I said, I used to work in theater and so you're with, you're working with a large group of people, um, on something that they're all very invested in emotions run high. People want very specific things, um, both in general and from one another. There's lots of emotions, lots of personalities to manage, which means that I can, which I will, I can just basically never play a telltale game. (laughs) <laughs> because like that's what like a t- like i i played the first walking dead game and i was like no this is 
literally just my job, but with cannibals. <laughs> like there's no, like this is this is what I do every day. I figure out how to keep a group of people happy and collaborating <laughs> in the face of high high stakes and extreme danger. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's so funny. And, and, and Destiny, you know, the end game is these these super complicated raids where six people have to be in perfect coordination. And it's hilarious the extent to which it basically just feels like extended project management. You're trying to get people to show up <laughs> on time. You're, like, telling people what to do. But you're trying not to sound too bossy. You don't want to talk over each other. There's, like, etiquette on the mic. It's so funny. There's a certain point where it's like, what? like, how is this how I'm spending my Saturday? This is insanity. Right. <laughs> right. I should just be playing Job Simulator or doing yeah, my job. Well, it's really funny. <laughs> I could just be doing more work. Well, CGP right Grey talks on uh, on Cortex about the concept the concept of work simulators, and like he basically all of the video games that he plays are what he considers to be work simulators because, and his reasoning for it is that it's like so it doesn't take his brain out of work mode. Or something. Whoa, whoa, whoa! And so, he, yeah, I know it seems crazy to me, but he's a crazy person in many yeah, that's ways. Heavy. You should listen to Cortex if you haven't. I mean, I I feel like I like I want to ask my wife this because she manages people uh-huh. for a living. Um, she does like social media for TV networks and manages uh, the group of people who you know man the Twitter accounts and the and the Instagram accounts for TV shows. And when she plays video games, uh, she plays uh, business simulators or um, like yeah, city simulators. So uh, and so it's the same, you know, at least to me from the outside, it seems like it's the, it's a very similar thing that you, you, you know, you have to manage the right resources within the right time frame, make sure that everybody's getting what they need and that the deliverables are right. up to snuff. Um, and I wonder whether or not she would describe it as like, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sort of maintaining right. state. So the the games that he plays like it's it's really funny he talks about them, but he plays like American Truck Simulator is uh have you played that? Whoa. I I have not no. It is a game where you are a trucker, you're a long haul trucker and your job is to drive from like Philly to, you know, Eugene, Oregon and And please tell me it happens in real time. It happens in real time. Oh my god. <laughs> so you just drive. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, "Wow, because like he has, are there even like achievements and stuff in there, or is it just like you in the open?" Road? Well, you get you get you have a, a load to drop. You got a you got a haul a load. <laughs> yeah, so, no, uh, I got, no, I got that part. Yeah, uh, there may or may not be way stations. I, I couldn't speak to that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Man. Starting to really paint a picture. Just a, a quick anecdote from my past. Once I was hitchhiking from Tennessee to uh, to Maryland. And uh, I had to hide in the back of a truck when we came up on a way station. You were contraband. I just had a very, very funny memory, uh, which was that I was just texting Daniel about this. Is that I, uh, in back in like 2009 or 2010, uh, Daniel was showing me different, his different like favorite memes and decided to show me a Know Your Memes video in which you were standing there in a lab coat. Oh, yeah. And then... You know, years later, I said, "Hey, we got to do a we got to do a, uh, a, a conversation with the guy from uh, PBS Ideas Channel." And I didn't somehow mentally didn't even connect the dots that Daniel was the person who actually introduced me to you many many <laughs> moons ago, uh, before you had even started uh, Ideas Channel, which is so I'm, crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, I you know sometimes I forget that I was in all those old Know Your Meme videos, and then they'll you know someone will tweet <laughs> one at me from a, an account that's re-uploaded a re-upload of a re-upload since it's been mm. you know gone for mm-hmm. so long. 
So the community engagement is kind of different than I've seen other places, right? And so mm-hmm. how like how intentional from the get-go was that like we want to like actually use comments for comments and actually use discussion for discussion more than like your average YouTube channel does. It was su- it was very very intentional. It was it was sort of one of the mandates that we put together for the show. Like whatever we end up doing, it would be great if we made a show where one of the central mechanics is we ask a question, we encourage people to discuss the the various answers or ways at looking of looking at the question that we present in the episode, and then a week goes by and we incorporate their comments. Like whatever show we ended up making, I think that was you know maybe within the first half dozen ideas we had about the show that we all wanted to make. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I I see this like a a couple of places on the internet. uh, But like, there's kind of like a carrot and the stick thing with like comment sections, right? Where by like by having that follow up video and like by having the possibility of their, you know, their comment becoming like a comment that, you know, is discussed in the video that their comment, that follows up the video they're commenting on or whatever. I think that probably in and of itself sort of moderates and encourages people more than, more than anything else. Right. Like it's like, it's an interesting thing. You know, there's I've, like, I've seen so many places where like moderation fails and like the stick fails, but like the carrot of having a follow up video might encourage more civil discourse than anything else. And I think, and I think, I think that that's true. And I think the other sort of underappreciated aspect is that if, you have not even a significant but a n- noticeable contingent of people who are attempting to write thoughtful comments in the hopes that they will get you know in the hopes that it's hard to say what their notiva- no, what their motivation is is it in the hopes that they'll get noticed and get on the show or is it just that they are legitimately interested in the thing and like have some thoughts about it that they want to share and hope you know anyone will see or hope that they put out into the world but whatever it is um you know you have at least a, a noticeable contingent of people that that are inspired that way it then i think builds a context for other for other people yeah. and that i think a lot of times you know i think a, a lot of our comments our comment section was good um or as good as it could be not necessarily because everybody was hoping to get a comment on the show, but because there was a strong example set by certain members of the community that it's like, hey, this is what this comment section is for. If you want to cause trouble, like it's fine, but no one's going to pay attention to you in the way that they might in other comment sections because we we use this differently here. Um, and so there's a kind of ripple effect of... Um, you know, people, people being legitimately interested, people writing interesting and long comments, you know, like I, I ran the, ran the numbers one, once, like our average comment length was something like 50 times longer than any, than most other YouTube channels, <laughs> huh. even though people might be, might not ever think that they are going to get on the show. The fact that there are people who are writing those kinds of comments sort of suggests to them what the norm is in that space. Right. It almost feels like you have to like, the community will like legitimize being good or will legitimize being bad. Having like a strong contingency of people who basically like give you permission to not be in a YouTube comment. <laughs> we got really lucky in that, you know, we suggested to people through this mechanic of featuring comments and taking them seriously. You know, I, I would respond to comments as earnestly as I could, you know, I I would, I would take them sort of at their face value. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, so we encouraged people to have this orientation towards the comment section and we were just super lucky that people took us up on it. 
and that we had that critical mass of people who said, okay, sure, let's give this a go. Let's see, let's see what it's like to use a YouTube comment section for a discussion as opposed to, like you said, posting. Um, and so, you know, every, every time we had a video where there were, you know, PhD philosophy students writing a, f uh, a, a YouTube comment longer than the script itself to let me know what they thought about my read of Kierkegaard or whatever, I was like, man, right. we are infinitely lucky to have to have this resource uh you know and by resource i mean you know community of people who are you know someone at youtube was paying smart. attention to that like <laughs> like you know how I mean, did I've, this I've tool we with, built go so wrong yeah. and how did these guys make it so right i mean one of the one of the real like big pleasures that i had um f for making idea channel was i i managed to go and you know sit down with people at google and youtube a couple times because they <laughs> they asked that very question mm. you know they wanted to know they were like how did you not <laughs> we we know um but we want to know if you know how mm -hmm. you did <laughs> what you did so if you could just tell us <laughs> to prove to us that no um they were they were very very smart and very gracious um and yeah we're you know super interested in what our strategy was just i was thinking back to early days in the internet and uh and then also i mean not early early days but being a 20 something early days so late 90s early 2000s for me uh of like using instant messenger and uh you know going around and seeing some comment sections seeing some forums and seeing how interesting the conversation could be and seeing also how unbelievably hostile hostile and unproductive the conversation could be and it's funny to think back on that time that now those sorts of things that were sort of these nascent uh, early forms of conversation on the internet have now really become like a dominant part of my social life, my professional career, my everything really. There's a, I was thinking just how much time I spend in conversation with people on the internet. And I realized that a tremendous amount of my social life, a tremendous amount of my career, how I find the news, everything is tied up in how I interact with other people in effectively, you know, chat rooms and emails and Twitter. And so I, it strikes me that there's, this is such an incredibly important conversation of how do we make it less hostile, more productive, more inviting, uh, whatever. And that's, that's part of why I was so excited to talk to you is that you've, you've actually, you actually kind of took that, that head on, uh, on that YouTube channel. Yeah, man, it's, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to wrap your head around, and it's a tough thing to have be a constant part of your life, that you can open up an app on your phone, and you can have, you know, a hundred million people saying that they hate you and wish you would die at any given moment. Like, well, welcome to existence yeah. on planet Earth now. Um, I think, I think the number one thing that I always try to keep in mind is... Uh, okay, so uh, you'll have to forgive me. I think maybe the best way to describe this is is, is via an anecdote. Uh-huh. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> I got asked once by a journalist, like a tech journalist. Uh, they said, you know, hey, I have some questions about what you think about communities online, um, what you think about, you, you know, this was a time before we had a large understanding of what the discourse was, but it was probably just before that moment where the discourse became a thing. Um, and they just wanted to talk to me about positivity and negativity on the internet. Uh, this was a number of years ago. And the first question that they asked me was, why does the internet make people so mean? And I thought about it for a little while, and it just, it feels, 
it felt like a misguided question, and I had to take this very long pause and be like, I'm sorry, I know you're here, like, you know, I'm here to interview, we're going to have a conversation, but like, hold on, just give me five minutes to think about this. And my response was that, I like, I don't think the internet makes people mean. Um, like, I don't think the internet has agency in that way. I think that there are just lots of mean people who have the internet. <laughs> it's, I think, really easy to focus on the negative stuff, that it's real easy because it galls you so much, because it hurts, um, because you worry about it, because you're ashamed of it. It's the thing that's easy to, to think about the most. It gets stuck in your craw. But that I think it's just as true that there are, you know, the internet makes people nice or that there are nice people with the internet and that you have, you have huge communities of people who are willing to help, who want to do the right thing, um, who are interested in um, figuring out how to use their power discovered through technology in order to, if not make the world a better place, then to, you know, ass assist, assist their community or to assist communities. The journalist that I was speaking with, their response was, no, that's definitely wrong. The internet makes people mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I've already written yeah. the headline. Yeah, just, just answer the question, you moron. <laughs> and, I think, and I think that that's... That sort of encapsulates a lot of what the back and forth around the discourse can be like, which is that, yeah, like the decision has kind of already been made. If it's what you focus on, it is what you will focus on. Um, and so part of the part of the aim of Idea Channel, and I think I want to just sort of do an aside here and say that this was not an aim at the beginning. We sort of backed our way into this aim um, once we once we kind of figured out what we were doing. And it, and it took a little while. Um, one of the eventual aims of Idea Channel was to figure out how to show that that was the case without saying that's what we were doing, to, to give people mm. a, a way to have a set of conversations, um, to engage with the community, to look at media in a way that was, that was fundamentally mediated and technological, but still, for the most part, positive. Um, just hmm. to kind of be one of those things where it's like, listen, you know, there's, you can go to, and no, there's no shortage of YouTube channels where you can see someone shout about like debunking stuff and like wrecking people or whatever. Um, but like, we're here to just like ask sometimes silly, sometimes not silly questions, treat things earnestly, um, and try to have a friendly conversation. And when the conversation turns not friendly, we'll confront the fact that it didn't, that it was unfriendly. And maybe let's try better next time. Hello, hello. Hello. I see you just fine. I had a comedy of errors. Oh, now it's gone. <laughs> I toyed with the idea of doing some, like, you know, complicated, like, signal routing, but then, just, yeah, it's just too much. Gotcha, gotcha. Are you, like, recording into no, a different thing? Yeah, it's like this whole cockamamie setup. And I'm happy. I'm so happy. Okay, good. Great. I'm, I'm happy if you're happy. So, yeah, man, there are, there are several, different, several different lengths of this, uh, this story. Uh, let me think for a sec about which one is going to be the most interesting at this moment. I am turning you down so that I don't have you coming through my headphones. We... Okay, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm more or less ready to rock. Uh, pretty caffeinated here. 
I'm really interested in uh, kind of the the like tribal nature of things, and I mean that in like the good and bad ways. Like you, you say that the internet doesn't make people mean or nice. There's a lot of mean and nice people on the internet, right? I, I think there might be like a level slightly before that, though, where like there's a lot of people who go to the internet looking for some sort of a community. And the community they find is going to, like, reinforce a certain, like, attitude or perspective. Kind of what I was talking about with the with the comment section before, where it's like, you know, if, if you have a couple people legitimizing being good in YouTube comments, then it's okay to be good in YouTube comments now. Someone actually posted this recently that I saw this. It's so much less about, like, being right about the knowledge of something than it is uh, deciding mm-hmm. which tribe you want to be accepted by, right? And so, like... People people are, like, often willing to, like, have some level of cognitive dissonance about, like, what's true or, like, what feels right if they know that, like, holding that position mm-hmm. keeps them in the in the tribe that they want to be in. Is that, is that something that, like, can be engineered? I feel like the tribes are just going to happen regardless, and there's very little that you can do from a top-down perspective, and I've seen so many, like, places try to, like, engineer good communities, and it often just seems kind of like the luck of the draw of, like, who gets there first and sets the tone, you know? Um, And, like, that's, that's, like, one of the things, like, like, Reddit takes a lot of heat for being, like, a bad community, but, like, there's tons of great little communities on Reddit, and there's also tons of, like, super hateful evil communities on Reddit, right? And uh, it almost just feels like whoever like the first like 30 subscribers to any given subreddit were and like whoever like the first moderator was basically yeah. defined the tone of that subreddit in perpetuity uh so uh so there are a lot, there are a lot of things that you mentioned and there are like sort of three like three bigger things that i think are worth are worth confronting um the first is i think that it is fair to say that there is an amount of sort of mutual constitution it's it is fair to say that it is irresponsible to say technology has no impact on the actions of people and people just are who they are and they use technology in order to be that person um and that yeah i agree with you that that someone someone might yeah there might be a sort of mutual constitution in that someone is who they are they use a piece of technology and that piece of technology might um either either exacerbate or, um, or discourage whatever their impulses are. Uh, and I think you do, yeah, you do see a lot of this. You, you know, you see people right. with certain impulses, um, find a community that encourages the worst of their impulses. And then they just get more and more, let's say just to, to choose uh, a characteristic argumentative, um, or more and more entrenched in their, their worldview, um, but then I think you also see a lot of the other the other part, which is someone is temperamentally entrenched and they, you know, f- stumble upon uh, a YouTube channel. I'm not saying it's mine. I'm not taking credit for, like, changing people's lives. Um, you know, they stumble upon a YouTube channel and then they're like, oh, you know, I, I never thought about this perspective before. I'm glad to have found this. And then they walk back their entrenchedness. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a there's a fair amount of both of those on the Internet. Um I think the other thing, the other thing that you mentioned was people, people 
in a sense, you know, we're sort of like developing developing this little a little story for everyone who uses the internet, which is that they are a kind of person. They get to the internet. Um, they they in their travels on the internet find a community, and then that community has an impact on them. Um, and so, it, how often is that impact um, a kind of uh, like causing them to to be more like the community than like themselves or less like another community that they identify as the enemy. And I think that there's also a fair amount of that, that when there is wide-ranging, heated, short-form communication, it tends, it seems as though it tends to be the case that many, many things take on a political valence that they didn't previously have. Um, and that mm. in, in absence of yeah. uh, nuance, in absence of a kind of empathy for someone else's position, uh, in absence of, um, you know, all kinds of things, you do have this situation where people feel like they, they really, really have to advertise their difference that they really have to make it clear that they are not the person that they disagree with and that they are not that person in as many ways as possible. Because that's the way that mm. you become the group that you identify with the most, uh, by, by never mm -hmm. sort of being poisoned by a position that the bad guy has. And so I do think that, yeah, like on right. the internet, there, there does tend to be this... I mean, I, I really don't like this... I really don't like this story of tribes um, or of virtue or of all of these other monikers because it makes it feel like it's either performative or like anthropological or, or, or cultural in a way that it's really not. Um, but, you know, we all need a shorthand for something. So but I, I so I do think that there is this this idea of like, yeah, the tribe of um, of. You know, you, you exist in a tribe insofar as you can be the, the most of that tribe as you possibly can, which often means reacting to other tribes. And so, yeah, you have these you have differences that sort of push away from one another and you get this crazy polarization that is only ever modeled in, at the very least, the United States government. So, you know, we have uh, we have a great we have a great role model. I learned it from you, Dad. Um, you know, in staring us, staring us in the face from the headlines every day. In addition to making good arguments on the internet, I think the more effective and like important thing that you did and that I've seen others do is like you offer an olive branch to another community because of the extent to which it's combative between one side and the other. I think a lot of people feel that they could never join the other community, even if intellectually they might feel more aligned with them. Well, I think and that's, I mean, that's where you get into this weird cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Thing. And I mean, and I think you might be giving me slightly more credit than I deserve. Um, because <laughs> you may, you may be in a, a metaphor at this point. I don't yeah, know. I mean, because I think, you know, like I want to point out that like there, you know, we took a lot of things for granted on idea channel. Um, we took for granted that human, human rights are important. The pursuit of equality is, is is important, um, that feminism is good. 
And the degree to which we were not combative about those things is the degree to which we did not ask, did not pose those things as questions, because I do not think that they are up for question, if that makes sense. So, like, we just start from a fundamental premise and operate on that premise as opposed to saying, hey, this is our premise, and if you don't like it, you're wrong. The, like... You know, and that's and that's what gets us. That's what gets us apart. That's what gets us away from being combative. Um, but I think that for in a lot of ways, Idea Channel was not combative because we were just not interested in combating the things that people would fight us on. If that makes sense. Sure, so like sure, sure. we sort of the degree to which you like want to give me credit for doing a good thing. Like I only deserve it because. We just we were inactive in that sense. Interesting, and it was it was interesting to watch too on a on a handful of those videos. You know, people who were really into Idea Channel would, would kind of suddenly on on certain videos you would sort of like plant that flag a little bit, uh, and it was interesting to see like certain videos got a bunch of dislikes because folks who were enjoying the other parts of that realized that they were were not on the same page. It was super interesting to watch like certain random videos if you started talking i think specifically about feminism would get like thousands of dislikes it's like wait, 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 where did this come from and you start to realize <laughs> yeah. like the, yeah. the 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 group of viewers was actually like uh, kind of bifurcated a little bit more than we thought it was well and you also kind of activated the sargon of akkad army at one point <laughs> oh yeah definitely oh yeah yep oh yes <laughs> so no, once, think, once you've we... awoken that beehive <laughs> yeah. you're gonna get some dislikes yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it, it was always interesting to to say to say something vaguely liberal and then have a bunch of people be like, you know, is this, is this guy an S- SJW? Is this an SJW channel? And it's like, if you like, like, please show me where the line is. Like, what is the like, what is the defining characteristic? You know, because I read every, or I read every comment. So I would become familiar with individual audience members and I would know how they were responding to every episode. And I would see the progression of their mm. relationship with the show. And so you would see people who are mostly enjoying the show, having a good time, having interesting thoughts, interacting with the material. And then and then I, I quote one philosopher or theorist who has a Marxist background that is a little bit more overt. Um, and they're like, whoa, 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 what's this Marxist nonsense without realizing yeah. that for the last Don't six videos... Don't you Walter videos, Benjamin at me. Yeah, yeah. Like for the last six <laughs> videos, they've been mostly agreeing yeah. with Marxist nonsense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We weren't trying to fool someone. I wasn't trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. That's just one of those fundamental premises of the show is that... You were a Marxist in uh, YouTuber's clothing. <laughs> that I... Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like we're doing critical theory. We are we are um, engaging with um, cultural studies as it is currently practiced. And that has a Marxist background. And we we were never like, hey, so just so everyone knows, cultural studies is largely <laughs> Marxist. Yeah. And that's just how it is. Yeah. yeah, you didn't like have a hammer and sickle YouTube icon. You just you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it was good to see you all <laughs> ever so briefly. I don't like I don't I look very silly in baggy clothing, and so that's a hard one for me. But I, I, even when I'm alone, I don't want to look silly. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's like, you know, this is the problem with with making media is you know, it's just the the development process is is long. I have the I have a sticker over my camera because I'm paranoid. I, I don't have fingernails because I'm anxious. Um, okay, hold on. I, uh, I there are three things I want to respond to. I'm going to write them down so I don't forget them. 
This is this is making you a, a uh, my, my favorite guest ever. The fact that you just said that. <laughs> if someone wants if someone wants to hum like girl from Ipanema while I take some notes. <laughs> it is interesting to me that now you're at this kind of point in your career where you've been creating stuff that people have really enjoyed online for a while and uh, people are kind of curious what's next. So I would love to hear this kind of a two-part question. One is just uh, what's up next for you if you're ready to say or if you know. Uh, And two is I would love to hear your thoughts a little bit about what it means to end something on the internet. Uh, That there have been kind of two, two, at least two, so actually there have been several things that you've worked on that have been kind of like these like large involved projects that you poured years of your life into and then they come to a close but on the internet the sort of the content continues to exist and it persists in a really accessible way i'm curious what it means to you to uh to end something on the internet and then i'm also curious what's next for you it's it's kind of hard to say i actually have not really had an opportunity to put this into words so i'm, I'm going to probably stumble through it a little bit um, but I think that the, the sort of head, headline is something like, you know, it's important to me that a thing ends in such a way that it, it, it provides a good context for its existence. Um, and not that it justifies what it was, but that it, it provides a kind of coda that, that feels not definitive, but uh, feels like it, it adds at least some punctuation to something's ending. Um, because I think that, especially if it's something that has an audience, you know, they're, they're owed, I don't know, help me out here. They're owed, they're owed a kind of like, not explanation, um, but... Legacy? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. They're owed a kind of way to think about the thing having ended. Because I think the way things tend to end, especially on the internet, is something will just stop. Um, something will will peter and then stop. Or there will be a, an explosion of drama. And there's a way in which all three of those endings in not leading the audience towards a way to think about the ending gives them the excuse or even the op- just the opportunity to change the way that they felt about the show in response to how it has ended, which is like, Oh, if it just ended like, Oh, they didn't really ever care about us in the first place. So F that noise. Um, or, you know, if it's drama, it's like, oh, they couldn't figure out how to, you know, work their shit out so that they could just keep making this thing that's clearly important to their community. Like, what's the deal with that? Um, and so I think it's important to me, uh, or it was important to me with Idea Channel to be, like, really clear, very upfront, um, and to give a lot of notice so that people could get used to the idea. And so that we made sure that we communicated with as many people as we possibly could, that the show was ending, you know, up until the week of the last episode, we still had audience members who were like, wait, what the show is ending. Um, so, you know, it was good that we had, you know, it was like six to eight weeks notice or something. Um, and then in winding the show down and in using the ending to kind of talk about what we tried to do, um, where we fell short, what our aims were, what our goals were, how we thought we did, um, what our sort of inspirations were, is I think a way to make sure that at the end of the show, 
there's no misunderstanding, at least as far as we're concerned, about what we thought the show was and what we thought it was for. And that's not to say that if people think it was something else or was for something else, they're wrong. It's just to say that it was important to me, and I think it is important in general, that like you get to at least, as the creator, be involved in that conversation. Um, I think that it's probably irresponsible to say that like you should want to control it. Um, you know, you shouldn't want to steer it, but that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in it. Um, and so, you know, Idea Channel especially being about discussion and communication and trying to be earnest, you know, it, we, like, it was really important to me that we end the show the way that we did it, in conversation, um, treating things with the importance that we think that they are due, um, stuff like that. You know, another really interesting thing about it is, and this is, <laughs> this may be like a really, like, developer-y point to make, but, like, because of the way that sorting works everywhere, your latest thing will always show up first in most contexts, right? And mm -hmm. there are going to be people who discover Ideas Channel after it is over, and the first thing they see will be the last episode, right? And so I think it's kind of interesting that, like, by giving that overview of, like, what we tried to do, how well we think we did about it, you know, and all of that, you're basically also providing context for, like, a bunch of people's first experience with Ideas Channel, and they're going to now That's go true. through yeah. and watch Ideas Channel, uh, ha like, with that information. And we even we even had some people who, who said, you know, who were longtime subscribers, who had watched a lot of the episodes, frequent commenters, who watched the final three episodes where we talked about what we tried to do with the show, and then said, oh, man, uh, oh, okay. Oh, now I got to go back and watch the whole thing again, like <laughs> knowing what you were after and knowing that you, you know, for at least the first couple years struggled to do that thing, yeah. uh, which I think is also another thing that was, you know, we didn't. So Bru Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, and we didn't intend to, do, to be like, you know, yeah, exactly. To be like, oh, the, the secret, the twist was this the whole time. Yeah. Um, so but that it was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice, it was a nice side effect that at least for a certain portion of the audience, they recognized that maybe what they had seen in the show was different from what we were trying to communicate. And that now with new information, there was a newfound interest in watching the back catalog, which is, I think, about the most generous I could ever hope for an audience member to be. Yeah. Well, then the, 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 the part B of the question, I'm, I'm curious if you, if it's fine, if you don't have any, uh, anything to, to say about this, but, uh, we'd, do you know what the, the next thing is for you or where we can find you next? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the big thing that um, I am focusing on right now is my podcast. It's called Reasonably Sound. Um, it's a podcast about sort of the science and theory and culture behind um, like all things audio. It's been around for a couple years now uh, and sort of went on hiatus for a little while when things got really busy with Idea Channel and Crash Course. Um, but is coming back. I got two episodes in production right now um, that are, a, it's like a sort of twin pair. It's a two-parter about uh, applause and booing um, and where those things come from, why we do them, how they change our experience of live in-person performance, uh, sort of their larger political um, uh, implications. Uh, so that should be out, I don't know, sometime in the next month. And then a couple episodes uh, coming up after that, like things about... Um, 
uh, insect sounds, uh, like how the different ways that insects make noise um, and uh, sort of why, why they challenge our understanding of what sound is. Um, really curious about why every digital assistant has a female voice. Um, and what that's rooted in, um, and why that seems like a sort of natural thing to do. Um, so that's, a, that's the thing that I'm spending a lot of my time on now. Um, I'm also uh, still hosting uh, Crash Course Mythology, which you can find um, on YouTube at Crash Course uh, every Friday. Uh, that has, I think, probably like a dozen or so episodes left. Um, and then after that, um, I'm going to be hosting Crash Course Theater and Dramaturgy uh, for about the next year. Uh, so you'll be able to continue to see me on Crash Course. Um, and then other than those two things, uh, there's a, like a bunch of other stuff that's in the works and none of it is worth talking about. Uh, but mm. you know, keep, <laughs> keep an eye on my Twitter, you know, come and say, Hey, every once in a while. Uh, and you can sort of see what I'm up to, but, uh, I don't want to, it's not, not worth being like, I'm working on this thing. It has, it has no release date and I don't know where it's going to go, but trust me, it'll be cool. <laughs> I enjoy that you are like us uh talk about the show on the show type of a person um and like i love i think it was was it the latest episode where you basically say like i uh i can't continue to do this show without like processing on the show what this show is and what it's trying to do so like i'm gonna do that right now and that's really funny we do that like every 10 episodes basically with this show uh we've basically decided like every 10 episodes we're gonna decide what the next 10 episodes are about um but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do anything without like talking about what it is constantly. And it seems really like uh, self-interested or something. But it to me, it's like the only place that I can actually process what this thing is, is like in it and on it. I 100% feel you on this idea of inviting your audience into the thought process of, of the thing itself and being open, you know, thinking, thinking in public, um, is I think a hard, but important thing to do. Thinking in public. That might be our, uh, our title. Bingo, bingo. I like it. 